This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, rude boys and rude girls. Do we have a fun one for you today? My old pal Mike Park and I break down the Skank and Pickle classic, I Miss the Bus, taken from their 1992 album, Skank and Pickle Fever. Mike and I go back almost 30 years, and it was a pleasure catching up with him. This is a super early song in the Pickle catalog, and there's moments throughout the song that, for lack of a better term, Mike feels a bit embarrassed about. From an artist's perspective, I get it. But from a fan perspective, this song will always be a hit to me, and I don't have one iota of embarrassment attached to the song, as I love it just as much as I did when I first heard it. Mike talks of how Skank and Pickle was a full democracy among its members, and you can truly hear that each person had their say in this particular track. As a fan, I was surprised to learn a lot about not only this song, but the band that I adore. If you ever had the honor of seeing them live, you know. One of the most fun times I've ever had at a show. Total powerhouse. For all this and a whole lot more, bust out those checkerboard pants and I'll see you on the dance floor. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Mike Park. What's shaking? Not much. Just excited to talk to you. I'm excited to talk to you. The first thing I want to say to you is congratulations on 25 years of Asian Man Records, which I don't know where the time went. I don't think you do either. <laughs> Absolutely not. It's crazy. <laughs> it's. Uh, I, I remember when you said, uh, I'm starting another label, because of course... Uh, you know, Less and Jake did a record with Dill Records, which was Skank and Pickle's kind of uh, band label. And then uh, you set out to do Asian Man, and I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and it just it, it just blew up, man. And and I say, I, I say okay, cool, kind of like I did, because everybody was starting labels in the 90s, and not a lot of them lasted, you know? So here you are 25 years later. That's incredible. Yeah, I, I, it's exciting, and I'm it still feels fresh, crazily enough. I still feel like I'm learning and it's just like I'm a kid still <laughs> in this aging, this aging body. Yeah, I only feel my age when I walk past a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still 18 in my brain, right? Heck yeah. Um, you know, uh, I know you know the format of the podcast, and and, and we're going to dive in today to a, a skank and pickle classic. I miss the bus, and 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 we're going to break this uh, break this one down. But I typically don't like to conduct the the podcast as like an interview. But with you, I I know that uh, a lot of my listeners are, are ska uh, and and punk listeners. And I just kind of want to set this one up a, a little bit before we get into the song. You know, I want to talk about where you were at when you got into ska because i've talked to you about it before but i even have some questions that i've never i've never asked you and of course mike is from the bay area which has always been kind of a a a racial melting pot there and 
I know that that you know two tone and ska was was very alluring to you. It was very exciting to you. How do you remember the first time you heard ska and 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 what attracted you to that? Yeah, one hundred percent. I remember. I obviously when MTV first came on, Madness had a hit with Our House, which wasn't a ska song. And the English Beat also had airplay on MTV with uh, I Confess, which also was not a ska song. I was listening to those bands and their catalog probably like 1983, but I, I had no awareness of what ska was. It was just kind of like alternative music to me. So then in my junior year in high school, there was a, a movie playing at the Art House Theater in San Jose called Dance Craze. And a bunch of friends, including Lars from Skank and Pickle, uh, said there's this documentary about two-tone. And I wasn't really understanding what two-tone was, but I wanted to go because the friends were going. The music that changed the world. Together for the first time on the big, big screen, Bad Manners, The Beat, The Body Snatchers, Madness, The Selector, and The Specials. Here it is, Dance Craze. And it was the first and only time where I went to a movie where people were dancing in the aisles. And I was I was dancing too, just uh, being young and uh, hopping around. And so the next day I went out and bought uh, Bad Manners class with a K. And I was off and running. That's when Ska hit me and it hit me hard. I was looking, I was mm-hmm. digging through the uh, the record store bins looking for all the old two-tone. And um, mm-hmm. it was like crazy, crazy addiction. I wanted it. I yeah. wanted it all. And correct me if I'm wrong. I, I know we've talked about this years ago, but... Uh, you know, being a Korean American, you felt inclusion. You felt included in this group of of, of ska. Uh, you know, when you'd go to shows, maybe maybe more so than than other other genres. Is that correct to say? Well, I don't know if I was really aware of that until I saw Fishbone. So I saw Fishbone in '86, also, and the simple reality of seeing six African American males on stage is rare that back then and today yeah yeah any rock-based music is is usually white and that's just the unfortunate truth of it so they also had a simple slogan of just the fishbone logo and fuck racism and that hit me hard too where i was like whoa this is a statement they're making through music and those little um encounters that's kind of what like brokered me into the political aspects of ska or, or just music in general but, but yeah, it was, it was very cool to see. And it was a melting pot. You did see a lot of people of color and it was very diverse and it was exciting. Yeah. Well, you know, I had Angelo uh, from Fishman on the show and we, and we talked about that too, you know, that time period. And especially like you said, uh, they, and, and how do you even begin to describe Fishbone? I mean, they were all over the place. They were funk, they were soul, they were rock, they were ska. They, they were just an amazing band, but um, they're the first band I ever heard a ska song from. It was party at ground zero. That was the first song I had ever heard, which was maybe 87. Uh, 
I was probably 14 years old. And then from there, it just kind of blossoms like, hey, have you heard of the specials? And then it was, hey, have you heard Op Ivy? Well, this is different. This is like punk, but there's upstroke guitars. And uh, so I had about three years of that or so, and I took off for Gainesville in the summer of 1991. And um, forgive me for for gushing a little bit. I don't, you know, I think you can respect this, Mike. You, you don't ever forget your heroes. And and Pickle, you were like gods to less than Jake. I mean, I was in Gainesville living with Vinny. This would have been late 91, 92, uh, and uh, Vinny, uh, former drummer from Less Than Jake. And he comes home one day from the record store. He's like, check this out. Like, I read a review or something in a magazine, and, and it was the I Miss the Bus 7-inch. <laughs> and uh, Pass You By is on there. <laughs> and the other two songs, which are which are crazy, I was like, whoa. It was um, Ice Cube, Korea Wants a Word With You, right? and David Duke is Running for President. That was the four songs. So here you had this song, I Miss the Bus, which is just so... Such a fun, just wacky, crazy ska song, but you also had this political dynamic within the band where you could be serious. You were, you know, basically calling out David Duke for being a piece of crap and, you know, some of the the uh, racially insensitive things that Ice Cube was saying at the time. And and there was this whole, like, dichotomy going on at once, and, and uh, we just loved it, man, you know? And, and, and you can think back to those bands that you listened to uh, that, that you first loved. I mean, we, we burned a hole in that 7-inch. That's how many times you listened to it. And, of course, all four of those songs uh, ended up on uh, Skank and Pickle Fever, your second record. But, man, we just... I, I can't say enough about that time period for me. I mean, you were one of... You were kind of like my bad manners, you know? And um, without going too much further, I'll, 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 I'll try to stop with the compliments, but I can't <laughs> give you enough... I can't give you enough props when I saw you first, and I was telling Chris, my producer, about this the other day. You know, my whole shtick was based on uh, a lot of what you did. I saw you at the cover dish in Gainesville, and I had questioned you about this a year or so after the fact, and you're, you looked at me like, what? But you had said, I can't remember what song it was, you're like, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this next song was written with a g- very good friend of ours named Stanley Burrell. Uh, you may know him better as MC Hammer. And I bought it. I bought this hook, line, and sinker. I'm like, this is the what they wrote with MC Hammer? That's just what? You know? And um, it was just, you were off the cuff every night. It was stream of consciousness, insanity. And uh, the other five people in that band were insane, too, each in their own right. Um, but, uh, you know, just, just uh, again, those memories I have attached to that time period and what your band, how it shaped me as a performer, uh, I, can't, I can't stress and thank you enough. Oh, man, that's cool to hear. I appreciate that. It's very nice. Nice words. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny, too, because, you know, you, sometimes you, you look back on your first band and it's like, oh, we were just kids. And it's hard to hear maybe those compliments of being influential to somebody. But um, I, I, you know, I, I truly mean it. And, you know, getting into this track, it seems like you guys were pretty prolific and you had played for a couple years up to this point uh, of recording this song. So do you remember when you wrote, I Miss the Bus? This was the very first Skank and Pickle song ever. <laughs> this really? This the first one. It was 1988. It was me. It was just a three piece. It was me on guitar, our mullet rock and roll drummer, uh, Chuck Phelps, who had never played ska, and this the original crazy bass player, Mr. Clean. And we just that yes. was the Mike Mike Mattingly. And that was the first that was the first song. We uh, got together in Mike's parents' house, and 
it's crazy because I'm so bad at guitar now. I can't even imagine how bad I was back then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's just something, you know, and I know you know this because you got submitted to your label every ska ska band from here to Mars. But a lot of the, the stuff that I didn't like about ska later on was it just, it got too candy coated for me and just too too cheesy and silly there's something about this even when i still listen to it today um you know and i can hear uh, and i've talked to you about this before you know mr clean as you call them uh, your bass player mike you know he sings this song with you and uh, on this track uh i can hear the boingo and i think some devo influences uh mixed into would that be fair to say yeah i would include xtc um, and the talking heads too, especially yeah. with Mike, he had this really strange voice. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's, that's too, what made you guys so unique. And, and, uh, I never really knew Chuck uh, Phelps, the drummer's background it, it, you know, cause he pulled off the Scott thing pretty well, but he was unorthodox. No one else sounded like him. Yeah. He was, he, he did a lot of studying. Like when we started like playing with other ska bands, he would stand right by the drummer and just watch them and he tried hard he was never able to play like the the trad one drop beat he could play it but mm-hmm. he just couldn't do the fills it was really weird but he could do right he could do rock <laughs> well i had never seen you with uh with mike he had left the band i think maybe the tour before you came to florida when i first saw pickle and i know that he was nuts you told me he used to do backflips off the top of his his bass rig and and uh i haven't been able to find a video online but uh, i did end up seeing you with um i believe ian was it ian miller ian. yeah ian yeah that was that was the first the first and, and ian ian was great uh great too and but did Ian go on to Captured by Robots? No, that was Jay. So Jay... That was Jay. That was Jay. Okay, that's who I saw. I saw you with Ian first and then with Jay. And Jay is the original bass player for the Blue Meanies. He played on the album Kiss Your Ass Goodbye by the Blue Meanies. Okay. And now he's... I, I, yeah, he's a he's a mad scientist, too. He he realized he he's unable to be in a band because of his personality, and he admits it. So he created an entire band of robots to play with them. If you haven't checked it out, it's pretty cool, man. I saw them uh, saw them some years ago, and uh, that's right. It was Ian, then it was then it was Jay, and then the rest of the band was rounded out by this six foot two Korean American named Mike Park, who I'm talking to, who has calves the size of Hulk Hogan's uh, biceps. Just this <laughs> big dude that had a sack strapped around him, running around going crazy next to. Lars Nylander, who was about six foot four, uh, playing the valve trombone next to Jerry Lundquist, who was six foot seven, playing the regular trombone. And then you had Lynette Naxted. She's about six foot tall, yeah. going crazy, sticking her tongue out, making these weird contorted faces the whole time. And and uh, unfortunately, we, we lost Lynette in 2007. Uh, rest her soul. I miss her and think about her uh, all the time such a a great guitar player but you guys were just wacky i remember walking into the dish that night and looking at you and just seeing this band and the interplay and uh, again just 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 so influential so uh, i missed the bus was the first song you wrote and at that point <laughs> at, at that point did it have horns yet it did 
I had written the the simple horn line uh, on tenor sax. Quickly after that, I recruited Lynette, and we actually played as a four piece probably for a good six months before we uh, Lars came into the mix. And so, yeah, that that horn line was was written. Nothing to write home about with that horn line. <laughs> You know, I, I love it. I think it's great. Um, I, and I know where you're at though, because I imagine this song's tough for you to listen to much like my first, uh, record, my first demos that we did. It's, it, it's kind of like a sketch that you did. That's not the first, like not the real thing. And, and I, I get where you're coming from, but, um, I didn't write this. I wasn't there. I, this wasn't my first thing. This was just the first thing that I love from your band. So I see it differently, you know, and that's the, that's such the beauty of, of, of songwriting. That's why I love, love doing this so much because I get to sit on, on, on this side of it and, and break down songs from, from some of my favorite artists. Uh, the song is three minutes and 24 seconds. It starts with uh, four beeps of, of an alarm clock. <laughs> beep beep and then the bass slides in and then there's like this clock tower bell that happens i don't you know i'm like as i was listening to that, I, I don't recall that happening i'm like why is that there but it's kind of cool and then this voice comes in it's madly it says that, that's lars ow. that's lars oh is that lars yeah. is, that's lars that says yeah. that okay lars says ow hey sleepyhead get out of bed and then uh there's some toasting going on For our listeners, I've talked about this before, and maybe you could shed some light yeah. on exactly where toasting came from. Uh, I can't do toasting really well. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my horrible impression, which is really bad. Uh, <laughs> what what were the initial things behind toasting? Do you recall like where that originated? Sure, we always felt like Rankin Roger was the king of toasting. So toasting, for people who don't know, it's just basically a percussive, um, mm-hmm. a percussion but using your, your, your mouth, your vocals. And we, we heard it in so much of the ska we were listening to coming out of the two-tone and in particular, the, the beat and madness. And then we would hear it within the untouchables too. They were doing, they had toasting in it and Lars was just so good at it. Oh my gosh. Amazing. And he used to make me laugh because he he filled in one tour for less than Jake, and he he would toast, and I would just look over and go, and I, I we'd be on van rides, and he would try to teach me how to do it. I could never get. It's like beatboxing; either yeah. you can do it or you can't. And he's just incredible at this. I did a very horrible impersonation a second ago, and I'm not even going to attempt it again. But I tried to practice it; I could never get it. It's tough. <laughs> it's like a tongue yeah. twister, but without any words. But he, yeah, he's insane. I I would say it's a strange thing to like put someone on this pedestal but he's probably the best toaster in the world <laughs> he's 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 absolutely incredible he's 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 amazing and and what a wonderful uh musician in person too so if you're listening hello lars um but uh this song just starts off and i i just remember hearing this like i can take me back we had brown carpet we had paneling in this apartment brand brandy wine apartments in gainesville our little record player and there it is and i'm hearing this and i'm like Oh man. Like I had heard, like I said, I, I had probably a dozen or so ska bands I was listening to, but there was nothing that was this 
put together and fun and wacky, but there was musicianship going on. And, you know, for what it's worth, I know you, you're not too maybe fond of the horn part, but like your guys, you know, the way that the three of you played together, there wasn't many other sections at that time. You know, this is before Pro Tools, before you could fix anything, right. <laughs> you know, and you guys were on a shoestring budget. I know you were recording. These were basically demos that you were calling a record, you know, and uh, it just sounds awesome when that when that horn comes in. And basically the horns, it's like almost a little solo section here. And then we get into the first verse and I'm going to have you uh, break down these lyrics here. Uh, I get up at five o'clock. To go to work at 9 o'clock, it takes me an hour to stick my hair up. But why? Why do I always miss the bus? And on the but why, it's like the the, the rest of the band, three or four voices go, like they're questioning you. But why? Cringing hearing these lyrics, but it's, it's about, <laughs> I was very young and it was about my roommate. We, uh... It was when I first moved out on my own, I and three other roommates, we shared a two-bedroom apartment. And this one guy named Mike Henneke, he would always miss the bus. He had to take the bus to work, and he would just take so long, like, getting ready. Uh, and I've, that's where this, this song comes from, is this roommate named Mike Henneke and, from 1988. <laughs> Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. And, and, and again, this is so cool to me because I've, I never asked you about this before. I never, you know, people have said to me before, you know, when you're out on tour and they said, don't you know some of these stories? Haven't you talked to these guys? When you're on the road, you're not like picking your bro's brain about stuff, especially like if they're your hero to you, you know, like we lost our minds when we got that first tour with pickle. It's like, Whoa, you know, and same thing when we, you know, played our first shows with, with boss tones or whoever it's like, they were, they were our idols, you know, but, uh, and <laughs> I've talked to you about this, you know, where you're like, Oh, that's old stuff. And I kind of cringe at it. But 
I don't know. There's something here that's just it's so fun and so good. So you you wrote it about your roommate. I, evidently, he couldn't uh, couldn't catch the bus. We get into what I'm calling the first chorus, and it's I miss the bus. I miss the bus again. I miss the bus. I miss the bus again. Uh, and you can definitely hear Lynette in this chorus, and her backing vocals are a little. On the, on the agains, on the two and the four, the second and the last time, uh, her vocals are a little off at the end, but not off in like she sung it wrong. It's how, it, how she wanted it to be sung, and she sticks out. It's such a cool little harmony. I miss the bus. I miss the bus again. I miss the bus. I miss the bus again. <laughs> you know, even though I wrote the song, it was such a democracy with Pickle almost to the, our detriment, I feel, but <laughs> for what it's worth, everyone had a say. And if they wanted to add something and put their input in, you let it happen, especially in the early days. I think that was the allure, lure to you guys for me. I, because that energy came across on the record. And then when you saw it live, it was just like, forget about it. It was just, you know, it's almost like there's train wrecks and music that don't work. And there's train wrecks that do work. And I feel like this is a prime example. This song, I mean, everybody's there at one point. And I didn't even know that was Lars at the top. Now that you say that, I can I can hear that that's his voice. I just assume it was Mattingly. <laughs> uh, but uh, we, <laughs> which is cool. The next part, which I'm calling this verse two. This is a very crazy structure of a song. So if, if you'd like to correct me with what you think a part is, please, please interject. Sure. But I'm calling this, I'm calling this verse two. Uh, when it comes in, there's a backing vocal throughout that just goes, bus, bus. That's happening like in the background. And uh, Mike Madeline, Mr. Clean, starts off. He says, now, why'd you miss the bus? And you, Mike, go, I don't know. And he says, were you up late last night? You go, I guess so. And he says, and were you watching TV? Uh-huh, Mike says. What kind of TV? You say, Magnavox. And, and Madeline says, well, that's no excuse. And you say, for what? And then the harmony is with you and, and, and you and Mike and I think Lynette for what for for missing the bus. Oh my gosh, it's so embarrassing to hear a bag but Yep. Now I miss the bus. I don't know. Oh, were you up late last night? I guess so. And were you watching TV? Uh huh. What kind of TV? Magnum Vox. Well, that's no excuse for what for missing the bus. I enjoy your humility. If you could see Mike's face right now, he is kind of red and he's smiling from ear to ear. But uh, for whatever you're feeling right now, I don't feel that. I, I listened to this song, Mike, uh, oh gosh, I don't know how many times in the past, but the past uh, a day and a half leading up to, to talking to you, I probably listened to it 30 times. And <laughs> I'm sorry. And, and, I, and, I didn't get, and I didn't get sick of it. I love it. I, I, I love it. So we get into chorus two. I miss the bus again. I miss the bus. It kind of goes uh goes up there yeah. that time and it comes comes back later in the song i missed the bus again and then we're in uh and you haven't cringed yet till this this lyric is probably going to get you right yep. here but i again i think it's funny and i think it's it's great i'm calling this a post-chorus breakdown um and mike says uh my boss said to me and then mattingly over him says you know you're gonna rot in your own toenail pus i missed the bus again i missed the bus See that's then, yeah, that's the uh <laughs> that's the crazy Mike Mattingly edition. Yep. <laughs> um I've never 
I've never had toenail pus. I don't know if that's, is that a thing? <laughs> I have not had it either, but I'm guessing Mr. Queen had it. <laughs> Uh, and then he says, why do you always miss the bus? And uh, you're also saying, why do you always miss the bus at different times? It's kind of, they're kind of crisscrossing each other there. But again, it's it's that energy that comes across. And, and speaking of energy, it reminds me of some of those recordings that, that weren't great. Operation Ivy's energy, some of those early Crimpshine records. I mean, they sound like they were recorded in a tin can but there's something there that can't be replicated. You couldn't pro tool it and make it fixed and make it perfect. It wouldn't have this energy, you know? And uh, again, like I had mentioned a moment ago, that energy that you guys created here and having what you're calling a democracy where everybody gets their say, man, did that translate to, to the stage? You know, I just, I, I, and I know other people have told you, I just don't, I don't think you know how good your band was, how live. I appreciate that. I I do feel like we were a good live band. Uh, I don't think we were able to translate that on recordings, unfortunately, but Mm -hmm. it seems to, it seems to have some lasting power. Uh, I, Mm -hmm. we still sell records and, uh, people buy shirts. (laughs) So, well, you're, you're also a band that I think of Mike, and I don't know if you ever thought of this, but I don't know if they're like, who would have produced you guys? Would have been like maybe Danny Elfman? Like who who could have harnessed the insanity of pickle and like brought it to like I don't I I hate using the word a commercial level, but brought it to where it I don't know, maybe sonically it, it I don't know. I think this is perfect what's here. I don't know what you could have done to make your band stand out anymore. Weird Al Yankovic. Maybe Weird Al? <laughs> 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 that, that would have been that would have been it. You know what? It, when I was thinking of influences, I had mentioned uh, Boingo. Um uh, but uh, Weird Al's kind of kind of in there somewhere in the, in the pickle DNA as well. After that part, we get into what I'm calling chorus three. I miss the bus again. I miss the bus. I miss the bus again. And then the horn reintro, same as the top of the song, comes back for the full thing. It's just, it's awesome. It's catchy. And Chuck, he's just holding it down. That kick drum's going. Yeah, four on the floor and four on the floor. Rim shots. And that that hi hat, and every once in a while he'll get these these like cool fills in that just it's just uh, tasty and works for the song. Uh, I'm calling it verse three. Uh, so there I am watching the bus leave me. And this is this is a uh, Mike singing this. Mike Park. Uh, I can't believe I missed the bus today. I have a bus pass that I have not used yet. And then Mike, <laughs> Mike, <laughs> uh, Mr. Clean and Lynette here because I always miss the bus on the last line. And it's, uh, I'm calling chorus four. I miss the bus again. I miss the bus. I miss the bus again. Now we're in verse four. Now, why'd you miss the bus? That's Madeline, Mike Park. I don't know. Were you up late last night? I guess so. And were you watching TV? And Mike says, uh-huh. And uh, during this part, again, there's that bus, that backing vocal. Uh, and I believe that's Lynette singing that. Is that yeah, right? That's correct. That's that's her doing yeah. that. Okay. Okay. Up to this point, when you when you track this, and was this the first time you tracked the song, like recorded the song, or did no, you de- we, demo we, it? No, we did uh, a demo that we initially thought it would be a regular release, but it was just so bad. And it, okay. it was before Jerry was in the band. I think it was, uh, 
as a five. No, it was as a four piece. We demoed this as a four piece. Do you remember if the the song when you wrote it to that demo to this was it any different, or were all the lyrics and all the parts here? I think what kind of TV was uh, a different TV. <laughs> I don't think it was a Magnavox. That's, that's the only thing that I remember. <laughs> Do they even make Magnavoxes anymore? I don't think so. <laughs> We're showing our age. Uh, and then the next part I love, you know, when I was in to pickle, like when I first got into you guys, I was also very much, and, and you can hear uh, the seeds of less than Jake in this, I was very much into Screeching Weasel. And that was kind of like, my, I wanted to meld those together. How could I put Weasel in? I loved Weasel so much because Ben was always talking about the Brady Bunch and all these shows. And it's... And the next part here uh, uh, is the <laughs> Madeline says, uh, which I'm calling verse five. From the last line, he says, are you watching TV? Uh Uh-huh. He says, I bet you're watching Three's Company. And you say, the spirited, yeah. And then you all sing, all all, all, uh, three of you, because I love Three's Company. I love Three's Company. I love Three's Company. But that's no excuse for missing the bus. Were you up late last night? I guess so. And were you watching TV? Uh Uh-huh. Bet you're watching Three's Company. Because I love Three's Company. I love Three's Company. Oh dear, <laughs> this is getting more cringy, but cool. I'm cool with it. <laughs> I can live with it. I can live with this. Okay. I missed the bus. I missed the bus. That happens this time. I missed the bus again. And um, here's a question before we go any further. Do you recall the first time you played it? Where it was at? Was it in the Bay Area? And, and what, what the reaction was to this particular song? Well, we definitely played it our first show ever, which was April 28th of 1989. And it was uh, in a dorm, a student dorm at San Jose State University. I don't remember the reaction of the song. I, I just remember having a lot of fun and going crazy. But I remember when we first played with the Toasters, Bucket, after talking to me, said, I miss the bus is the hit is your hit. And I'm like, Oh, okay. That's just a small bit of trivia. But I, I remember that standing out and saying, no, that. that's really, that, that's really cool to hear because the toasters started in 1981. So they preceded you at that point by about eight or nine years. Right. So to hear, to hear that from Buck had to, had to feel good. And, and he was right. I think this is one of the, and th- that's why I picked this song. It wasn't just because it was the first one I heard. I had legitimate questions about it. I never asked you before. Cause like I said, you go on the road with your buddies or, or your heroes, you don't pick their brain. It's like, ah, eh, you know, you don't want to go there, but um, I don't know. There's just something. So again, that, that, that's what drew me to Scott initially was, was it was fun. You know? Yeah, sure. I, it was fun. Yeah. I, I want. I always loved music that was fun, whether it was feel good rock from the seventies or eighties to to funk to soul to to you know. If it was fun, I I was drawn to it. And you got to remember the musical climate in nineteen eighty nine. For those that weren't alive listening right now, or, or too young to remember, or even those that were there, you know, we were very much in the MTV generation. If you lived in a, a, a suburb of Florida like I did, this is pre internet. I mean, I knew what was on the radio. I was starting to meet punk rockers. 
things like maximum rock and roll and flip side were starting to happen. And, you know, you can order seven inches and you'd send a well, yeah, well concealed hidden cash away and hope something <laughs> shows up in, in, in a four to six weeks. And, and most of the time it did. But for the most part, like nobody knew what ska was. If you said ska to anybody uh, where I lived, it, they wouldn't know what, what it was. So just the fact that you were doing this music, uh, going out and playing shows in April of 89, because, you know, uh, people weren't walking around in, 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 in checkerboard outfits and, and, and mohawks. I mean, this was full mullet 1989. It was a different time. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a different time. But we, we were lucky because we did have, even though Two-Tone was, the Two-Tone bands at that time had just stopped touring. I think Madness toured, the original lineup of Madness toured in 88 and I think that was it like all the bands from that era had stopped touring but being on the west coast we had fishbone we had the untouchables and we had a great local band called the uptones so we were still able to go to shows these shows were packed it was full force just and a lot of fashion oriented it was a lot of mods a lot of vespas and um it's cool it's fun <laughs> Well, and I think that's also uh, goes to show you of, of geographically where you live that that was going on again. That wasn't happening where I lived in Florida. You know, it, it just wasn't. It hadn't it hadn't gotten there yet. I know it was happening in the Northeast. Of course, New York uh, had, had had a scene. Uh, uh, New York Citizens, uh, one of the amazing bands that come, comes to mind. So there was definitely pockets of it going on. And I think that that was uh, some of the reason that maybe you guys got a little earlier start than, than some bands, because it was, it was a thing there, which I'd give anything to be a fly in the wall. <laughs> at, at one of those first pickle shows that'd be so, be so cool. But also not to let Mike underplay the, the pickles importance. Uh, you guys were, <laughs> you guys were selling some concert tickets. I mean, I remember playing uh, the electric ballroom in Tempe with you guys opening up and we weren't worth many tickets in 1996. You know, this is before Losing Streak even came out. We were still touring for Pez Corps. Uh, 1,500 people sold out. You know, you'd go down the road to Tucson to uh, the Rialto Theater down there. And again, it was, it was sold out. So uh, Denver, you guys killed it. You'd go there and play. Uh, uh, what's the, the, room the Gothic. The, yeah, well, the Gothic, yeah, you did that, but you also did the other one there on uh, on Colfax. On why am I blanking? The Ogden, the Ogden, or the Ogden, yeah, 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 the Ogden, yeah, and we and we had played there with you guys. So um, there was definitely, I mean, you, you guys were were road dogs, though. I mean, you were you were hitting it. Do you do you recall the first national band that you toured with, like like ska band that you got in front of and kind of wowed their crowd? The terrible thing is from 1989 to 1996. No band ever took us out on tour. We were never support for a tour in that entire time as a band. We had opened up for some bands. Like we got to open up for the Boston's once in Salt Lake City. I mean, actually Provo, Utah. And we got to open uh -huh. up for them once in Lancaster, uh, but never got to tour with them. Never got to tour with anybody. And you know, our dream was to tour with Fishbone. Uh, obviously that never happened. We never got to play with Fishbone. But we did it by just touring nonstop, and that's what killed me. I was burnt. Yeah. I know you were. I know you were. Because I was on one of those last tours that you did, and you could just see it in, in your eyes, you know. And, and, uh, and 
I've always said that the not everyone's cut out for the road. You know, there, there there's certain people that are lifers, and that's not to take anything away from people that want to step away from it. It's, you know, uh, using the bathroom at Seven Eleven four times a day is not <laughs> all, it's cra- all, all, all it's cracked up to be. No. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, come back to my house. I, I got a place for you guys to crash. You get, there's four German shepherds, three cats. There's dog crap oh. everywhere. There's hair everywhere. Yes. You know. And then uh, you wake up to the, the girlfriend and the boyfriend fighting. It's yeah, it's uh, not, again, not the uh, not the greatest uh, time. It can be, but it definitely gets gets taxing. But that's fascinating to me. I had no idea that you uh, I thought maybe you got an, at least some decent sized tour. So to build up that fan base that you did is just goes to show you how how great you guys were. Yeah, it was just nonstop, nonstop. Actually, you know, to correct, we did get to play. We did. uh eight days with sublime before they really broke. So it was like, uh-huh. uh, it was like a snow core tour that our, oh. our mutual agent at the time, Rick Bondi had booked. So mm-hmm. we did do that, but I feel like that was so late in the game. I think I was out of the band within three months from that. So I don't know if that counts, but I don't want to <laughs> give any false information. We did do that. one. No, no, that's that. That's again, to be able to build up that fan. Cause you know, we built up a fan base early on. Uh, we got to play. It wasn't a full tour, but I remember we played with the Boston's in, in Tampa. Uh, we were good for maybe two or three hundred tickets. We played with them to uh, fifteen hundred people. Next time we went to Tampa, there were seven hundred people there. It like doubled our audience. Yes, you know we we went out we went out with Pickle. Any every market we played with you, our our audience doubled. I remember going back to Tempe, and there was four or five hundred kids there just for us. You know, so I can't stress the importance of you know bands uh, get with get with bands that are kind of you know kind of the same or in the genre and and go out and get in front of their audience and and, and wow their audience. It's you can't put a price tag on that. Uh, getting back into the song real quick, we're we're almost finished. We get back to uh, the post chorus break number two. My boss said to me, and that's Mike saying this, and then Mr. Clean goes, "You know, you're gonna rot in your own toenail pus. And why do you always miss the bus?" And uh, Mike and and uh, Mr. Cleaner saying that at kind of those crisscrossing times. And then the backing vocal comes back in on the outro. Bus. That happens five times. And uh, Mike's saying, I missed the bus. And uh, Mr. Clean says, and I had no excuse. I missed the bus and there was nothing I could do. I missed the bus. There it goes, driving away. I missed the bus and there was nothing I could say. I missed the bus. I missed the bus again. I miss, and then the last line is Madeline alone saying, I miss the bus. Oh, yeah. And there's this classic rock and roll 12 bar blues ending. <laughs> oh, God. I'm sorry, world. <laughs> I love it. I can't say it enough. And I, I love, I, I, you know, you're so humble about it. You know, I, 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 and I appreciate you even uh, agreeing to talk about it because there, there are songs of, of mine, a number of them that, that I would be feeling the same way. And it's, it's so crazy. And I'm sure you had those songs in your career. You still have it. You're still out performing uh, with Bruce Lee band. You do the chinkies and I'm sure people scream songs at you that you're like, I'm not playing that. And then I have to, <laughs> I have to, I have to stop myself sometimes and, and put myself in their shoes and go, they don't feel the way I feel about it. They love it because I always talk about this on this show, probably almost every episode, the memories yeah, it, it's the it's the memories around those songs. I listened to this song, man, and I went straight back to that apartment in 1992. 
It took me right back there when I didn't have a dime to my name. I didn't care what my next uh, pack of ramen was coming from. I didn't care. It was all about the music and going to shows. That's awesome. And, and, and I, I wish I still felt that way. I, I don't because I'm not 18 anymore. I'm not, I don't know if I could ever be that hungry and it has nothing to do with not having money and it, none of that. It's just that, uh, you know, that, that youthful sure. thing that we all go through. I was the same way. I 10 band punk bill. I was there at the very start and I was there until the very end. <laughs> right. I'm not right. doing that and, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that, that encapsulates everything that, about this song to me and where you're at and going, Oh man, that, that line or this line, I have the memories attached to this song and what the song means to me is so much more than it'll ever mean to the artist. As crazy as that sounds. Yeah. And I know that's that. I know that's true for my music too. And I have to remember that there's times when the fan will scream, play this song from our demo from 94. I'm like, Oh God, why that one? <laughs> Everything about it's bad. The lyrics, the playing, the singing, you know, but, Something about that song got them through that last semester at college, got them through their parents' divorce, got them through whatever they were going, turmoil they were going through. Yeah, you hit it. You hit it right on the nose. It's it's true. I've I've done that to other artists, yelled songs, and they're just like, kind of give me this smirky look. I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> but everybody has a, a time in their life where something means something to them, and maybe it doesn't mean the same to another person. So. I hear you on yeah. that. Yeah. Well, last last thing I want to say, and we're going to wrap up here, is you know, listening to this over thirty times, and I hadn't listened to this song in a minute. It had been 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 a minute, but uh, not once in those thirty or so times I, I I was listening to this and, de- and deconstructing it. Did was there anything that was cringy to me? Not one thing. Wow. Not one. Yeah, because I I don't hear it the way you hear it. I I have I have the memories. <laughs> You're a good man, Krista makes. <laughs> <laughs> And you are too, Mr. Mr. Michael Park. And is there anything you'd like to like to leave the listeners? Uh, what's going on with you? Uh, got any touring plans coming up? Uh, let let the world know what's going on. Yeah, I just actually uh, ten days ago, I just released a new uh, five song EP with the Bruce Lee Band called Division in the Heartland, and actually just finished recording a new full length for Bruce Lee Band. But uh, we're going to try to get that out by the end of the year, and that's it. I'm. I don't see myself doing much touring anymore, but I am writing like a madman. Awesome. And uh, again, congratulations on 25 years of Asian Man Records. That's uh, it's incredible. Not <laughs> Think of all those labels that were starting back then. It was like uh, all the internet upstarts <laughs> that happened. Where are they now? It's incredible, man. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it so much. It's incredible. All right, Mike. Well, uh, have a good one. Thanks for sitting in. Thanks for having me. Have a great day, Chris. I'll talk to you soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song via MP3 only and your bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. 
This week's featured band is Lead Shot Hazard from West London, UK. Uh, they're a six-piece ska punk band consisting of Tom Crabb on guitar and vocals, Dave Collis on bass and vocals, Zandro Morial on drums and vocals, Eve Crabb on the alto tenor and barry sax, Jess Benjamin on the alto sax, and Abby Harrison on the trombone. Here's a snippet of their song, Hacky Sack. Chris and Chris. So I'm sure there are some listeners out there who experienced this and some who didn't, but there was nothing quite like putting in a mail order to Asian Man Records in the late 90s. Yeah, you you can't really describe it. Everything is so immediate now. It's just at the uh the, the, the touch of your fingertips or your phone or your computer, you can get something uh, immediately uh, mu- music wise. And back then you, you'd clip the little ad out of the magazine and, you, and you'd write them a letter or, or fill out whatever you wanted. And like I said, put a check or some well-concealed cash in there and, and hope something turned up in four to six weeks. And, and when it did, it was just like, uh, I, I wore holes in these records because I was waiting and just anticipating. And uh, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. And I wore holes in the t-shirts I got from Asian Man Records. I mean, everything was iconic about it, from the actual music to the logo. And that is all thanks to this week's guest, Mike Park, uh, who, dude, (laughs) it's so funny when I hear these stories about Skank and Pickle from you that... I know Mike Park as this mild-mannered guy. I never saw Skank and Pickle. I liked them, but I never got to see them. And to hear these stories about them live, it just it seems completely out of left field that they were this wild, crazy band on stage. Well, and that's the thing, too, that I think were a lot of this for Mike, where he's like, ah, you know, they, they were never really captured uh, on record how they were live. And I, I, that's why I talked to him about the producer. Like, who would have produced you guys? Who could have captured that that raw energy? Because they were they were a force to be reckoned with. And and they were a, a true inspiration. Like I said, it was if I could have melded pickle with, with screeching weasel and I would have been the happiest. And there, I think, I think there was some lesson Jake songs that kind of did that early on just the, the, the live show. He was an inspiration to me. He was a front man that, and I didn't know it till probably knowing him for a year or two that, and especially doing some, we got out on a, on a tour with pickle and I'd see every night it was complete stream of consciousness. It wasn't canned. It wasn't rehearsed. It wasn't like, okay, here's the part where I'm going to say that MC hammer wrote this song with us. No, the next night it was, you know, uh, uh, uh Richard Pryor's cousin helped me write this song. It was something completely left of center from the night before. I'm like, uh, and I took a page out of that less than Jake. That that's, that's what I do. You know, Mike Park, not only being an influential ska artist himself, he also might be the biggest ska fan in the world. I don't think that's a stretch to say that. The guy has an entire record label based on, you know, not not that he only released ska, but has released so much ska and, and you know, been the person who put together the Ska Against Racism tour and just done so many things in the name of the genre and world of ska. You know, I I would say that maybe he's the number one ska fan in the world. Is that uh, outrageous to say that? No, it's not. There's, you know, uh, I can count on uh, on one hand the the people that have his 
passion for it, especially in the in the industry. Um, he he eat, breathes, and sleeps it. He, he he loves it, and 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 the whole band did. You know, like when 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 we met them, it was they were all immersed in the in the scene. If that's what you what you want to say about it, the the scene, the culture, the everything about ska and. Uh, I, I feel like a broken record. I can't stress enough this. They were just mesmerizing live. They were so energetic. And Mike would be up there and in between singing and doing a sax take. And he'd be, be like doing karate moves, you know, like the stereotypical thing of like, oh, he's Asian. He must know karate. And, and, and he didn't. But he was doing karate chops on stage. And just like you're looking at this going, what? And then th- there'd be Jerry. He'd, you know, he would be wrestling with Lars, the other guy on stage. And um, they were just so fun. And this track, I Miss the Bus, is uh, the first song I heard from the band, which uh, is funny. That was the first song they recorded. And it's a song that uh, Bucket from the Toasters said, that's your hit, because it kind of was, kind of is. I felt for Mike during this episode because I was seeing it from two different perspectives. I was seeing it from your side of being an enormous fan and being influenced by it and having the memories attached to it and just having this burning love for it. And I saw it from Mike's side being like, dude, that's the first song we ever wrote. And then, you know, seeing him like physically cringe when he read some of the lyrics and things like that. And I know that feeling too, just as you do, when someone brings up like a a punchline song from our first album or something, and I'm like, oh God, like I seriously want to (laughs) like get in the fetal position because I feel that that way (laughs) about like your early work. But then someone... Uh, it experiences it a whole different way than you do. So I was seeing both sides during this. And I, I, I felt for Mike, but I think it's really cool that he was willing to talk about it as well. No, and he he understood where I was coming from just as much as I understood where he was coming from. We both, I, I get it. I, I, I mentioned it, man, there's songs in my career. I also think that it's a little bit easier to swallow Um you know, uh, uh, some enormous hit, you know, yeah, maybe you had, uh, uh, this is on the big wish list. You had Bruce Springsteen on here talking about born in the USA and he's like, Oh, that song again. But it's a little bit easier to talk about that maybe for him because it sold a gazillion records and, and, and made his career what it is. But you know, something like I missed the bus was, was never a hit. Right. It was a hit to me right. though. It was a hit to the fans. Yeah, but I've I've said that before about my band, about other bands. Uh, just because something didn't sell a million copies doesn't mean it wasn't a hit. You know, what did it do to the people that, that it did do something to? And you see him at the shows, and here I am, thirty years later, talking about this song to Mike as the gushing fan. You know, it was it was a hit to me. Right. Do you know when Skank and Pickle broke up? Do you know like what year it was? Yeah, they they they, they broke up in 1996, and they carried on for about a year after that. Uh, they had another sax player named Mike Lou. Mike came in for about a year, and uh, we were doing some tour with, touring with them. Less than Jake was during this time period, but it just kind of fizzled out. And 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 not to take anything away from from the other members of the band, but but Park was really the heart and soul of Pickle. Mike was. He was just the 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 driving force behind the band. Um, you know, from a business standpoint and other things. But uh, you know, when when he left, it was kind of you know, kind of the demise of the band. So yeah, they were they were around for about seven years. It seems like terrible timing for the band to end because I knew Skank and Pickle. It's kind of like I knew about Less Than Jake and I knew about Real Big Fish and Suicide Machines and Boston's and all these bands as a teenager and then found out about this band Skank and Pickle. Like, oh, this was an influence of these bands. And I remember the, the Green album. Was it? Was, yes. 
Um, the, yeah, that was the la- that was the last record. That it was a collection of demos and cover songs that they put out. It was kind of like a last uh, last hurrah for them that they did on that on that record. But the the thing about Pickle is, is you're right. They should have been able to enjoy the third wave ska renaissance. Yeah, that started really when they broke up. It started in '96 and went till about 2000. It was a good three or four years there when it was just going haywire. But Mike said he was exhausted. He was tired of touring. You know, you got to remember from 89 to 96 when they were doing it, you know, these guys were out there year after year and they weren't playing the greatest of clubs, the accommodations. They were touring in a van, okay? And and these were large people in the band, not uh heavy set, just tall, big people with a merchandise person they were taking. They had, you know, eight people crammed in a van with all their gear, uh sleeping in 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 people's floors for 7 years and I he, they just had it. Right. And I didn't really understand. And I think you were kind of taken aback by this, too, when Mike brought up that no bands ever took them on tour. And I didn't know. I don't know if that's a product of they were just too wild or if it was that at that time, Ska wasn't into that third wave boom yet and that if they would have stuck it out a little longer that yeah maybe you know less than jake a real big fish boston's whoever would have been taking them out at at their at those you know when when they rose to the meteoric heights you know i, I don't yeah, know what the deal and, was and- there you know yeah, he had mentioned I was kind of getting more into like, okay, when the Boston's come through San Francisco, did you play with them? And he said, yeah, they played with the Boston's once in like Utah and they did like a show with the Toasters and they did some dates with Sublime. But for the most part, it was just them. They were and they built that following up. That's what's so amazing. Like I said, how many bands can say they sold 1,500 tickets in Tempe, Arizona? Right. You know, they go they go down and do a thousand tickets in Tucson at the Rialto. I was there. I witnessed it, and that wasn't our crowd. Maybe maybe some people there knew knew who we were, but this we were touring for Pezcor. Uh, they built that on their own, and it just shows how uh, shows you how hard they worked and and how much effort they put into it. I mean, that's awesome. That's impressive. That is the most in- inspiring DIY story you can hear is when a band, yeah, we're not getting support tours. We're doing our own thing that doesn't sound like anybody else. And yet you're packing clubs like that. That's that's awesome. And speaking of inspiring, Chris, our listeners inspire you and I each month with their generosity by giving to our fundraiser. And the fundraiser for July is Star Ovarian Cancer Foundation. And you can find all the info about it over at ChrisToMakesADifference.com. And uh, whatever you can give, a dollar, two, five, ten, uh, it goes a long way into helping uh, this awful, awful disease. If every listener of Chris to Makes a podcast pitched in one dollar at ChrisToMakesADifference.com, we could raise like millions of dollars for uh, each <laughs> mo- <laughs> each monthly fundraiser. Just millions. Millions of pennies at least. But in all seriousness, thanks to each and every one of you who gives each month. Uh, it feels so good to give back. The letters that we've gotten from the organizations uh, each month, uh, they, they can't thank us enough. And, and that by thanking us, they're thanking you. So from the bottom of our hearts, uh, thank you. We, we, we really appreciate it. Uh, I'm still doing... Custom songs. That's right. I'll write you your very own custom song or that special someone, a coworker, a friend, a foe, a lover. Uh, yeah. And Chris is going to roll the most ridiculous song you've probably heard in a while right now. I can write you a sky song or maybe a punk song, a punk song. I want to write you a punk song, a punk song. I want to write you a mid-tempo rock song, something you can't sing along or
Hit him with the homies, ain't taking no crap. Actually, you don't want to hear me rap. Pick any other style, trust me. I can't even write a ballad for your anniversary or your birthday. Looking for a voiceover, jingle, or music for your business, podcast, or TV show? Well, look no further. I'm your guy. Yeah, if you'd like more info on that track you just heard to uh, make your very own special custom song from yours truly, you can hit me up at chrisdemakes at gmail.com. Don't forget to give me a follow over at Instagram at less than Chris D. And what else we got going on, Chris? Want to talk about want to talk about our VIP program again? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, speaking of ridiculous songs, you can hear a ridiculous song. Uh, about you and I in our After Party podcast at the beginning of every episode of The After Party, which if you're interested in hearing it, you just go to chrisdemakes.com where you'll see information about our program. Not only will you get extra episodes every week and discounts on merchandise, but also you're helping out your buds. We bring you this podcast every week and we put a lot of time and effort into it. So if you could help us out and help us continue creating this podcast that I'm sure you love. Well, I'm assuming you love. If you made it this far in the podcast to the point where, you know, it's about to end and we're talking about our supporting cast, I assume that you love it. <laughs> and, you know, for the amount of money that you can find in your couch cushions, I don't know if people still have money in their pockets. It falls out. We all use cards or whatever. But but my point being that you could probably dig up enough change on your dresser uh, each month to, uh, you know, be part of our supporting cast program. Yeah, and the After Party episodes are cool. You know, they, they don't deal just with songwriting like the main podcast. These could be any topics from touring to records we like growing up. It's a, it's a vast array of subjects, and Chris and I have a have a ball talking about it. So, again, please uh, please head over to chrisdemakes.com and check out our supporting cast VIP program. And I want to thank this week's guest, Mike Park, my dear old friend, for sitting in on the show. It was a lot of fun. We'll see you next week. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2Z. 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.